This show is proudly sponsored by Coinspot.com.au, with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. Trader, trade, trader, Cobb Crypto Podcast. Podcast. This is the Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. All right, guys, welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. It's an absolute honor and a privilege to have Chris DeRose here with us today. Uh, Chris has done a huge amount within the crypto asset space. And uh, I'm just, I am honestly, God, honestly stoked to have you on the show, mate, because you're somebody with a high enough caliber, a great understanding covering many topics. You've been around for a very long time. And I don't believe at this stage I'll have had anybody on the show with quite the full package as far as understanding the space, the technology, and the investment side. So thank you so much for being on the show, Chris DeRose. Thank you so much for having me on. Mate, um, look, I'll probably be pretty good at selling you and what you've done, but you're going to do a much better job of me. So if you wouldn't mind, just let the listeners understand a bit about your background, where you've come from, what you're doing, what your vision is, and uh, and where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I arrived in the space in 2011, and I've been watching it ever since. When I first started here, it was at a place of, uh, I, I guess, d- almost uh, shock and perhaps uh, cynicism, having seen a lot of weirdness in the space back then. And as time went on and this thing became a little bit more comprehensible to me, I uh, myself started to uh, in- invest my time, my reputation, certainly my money into the space. And... I've seen and done almost everything it, there seems to have been uh, to do here. Uh, everything from the earliest attempts at uh, geez, the Bitcoin bowl and, and some of these sort of things uh, up to uh, events and conferences and writing for magazines. I have a podcast of my own and I interview many, many people in the space trying to figure out who's doing what, why it matters and where it's going. Uh, up until today, where I've uh, had the fortune of being able to look back at much of that process and uh, having survived uh, some, some very difficult times and situations uh, and done so in a way that I think has given me the privilege of being here with you today and really just enjoying the space, making content to understand it and not having to be beholden to uh, any greater interest in the name of promotion or some such thing. I, I, you know, it's hard for, I think a lot of people to be like, well, what do you do or where, where are you representing? And while I have projects that I like in the space and, and endeavors in the space to, to many degrees, it's, it's not like I have an overall, um, employer or boss that I answer to. It's, it's mostly just trying to figure out what the heck has been going on here. And that's what I share with my audience every week on my show. And it seems like that's the reason I'm here today. So I guess let's get started. Let's figure out what your audience should know about the cryptocurrency space. 
Absolutely. And guys, just to see well, if you're wondering, the show that uh, Chris runs is called Bitcoin Uncensored. You can find him on YouTube and across all the good channels there. And uh, it is very, very good. It's informative. There's plenty of good stuff there. And I will also add to it as well, mate, that um, you've been named by Crypto Weekly as one of the 100 most influential people in crypto which is an absolutely wonderful thing to have there mate well done and uh, I, I do look i do like that you don't have much of an agenda um look at the end of the day look some of us need to some of us do have products and some of us have a business to run and i think it's really good that you know i mean look i'll be straight like i i run my business we, we do have product to sell um we you know the show it's not about selling product it's about putting opinions out there and it's about li- having a voice of reason and being able to interview people such as yourself and try and pull the little gems out so i'm on the same quest as what you are in that regard as in let's just work out what's going on and, and you know what if we can't work it out Let's make that happen. You know, let's let's carve the path because a lot of this. And I mean, look, you've been a pioneer, mate. You've been there since what? When did you buy your first Bitcoin? Was it two thousand and seven? Eleven? Did you say? Two thousand and eleven. That's when. Yes. So you've you've. I mean, it, it makes it a bit easier not have to be. You know, to be. So it makes it a bit easier income wise if you've been in the space for that long. I hope for your sake, uh, getting in very very early. But um, it, it's really truly amazing to see. From my perspective, and I haven't been in this space anywhere near as long as you, Chris. I've been a trader, I've been an investor, I've been in business for, for a number of years. But as far as the the technology, I mean, I'm still catching up, and I, I make no qualms about that. I, I you know I'm very very good at what I'm very very good at, and I say this often. I'm very bad at what I'm not. So to have experts in their field, that's that's really my objective is to is to learn from others. Um, I'm not trying to pretend that I'm something that I'm not. Is what I'm getting at. I'm a trader. I'm bloody good at that and uh, and i stick to that so i'm really really looking forward to having a chat with one of the 100 most influential people in crypto and uh guys remember it's the bitcoin uncensored show there to get chris on it so guys um first question mate you got in early yeah we, we know that i've got one very very basic question and i want you to answer this with absolute honesty oh boy <laughs> drum roll when you first put purchased bitcoin Back in 2011, did you foresee what we have progressed to at this point, or was it kind of like? I mean, maybe you're a portfolio manager, maybe you're investing in many different things. Was it a well? It's a bit of a long shot, but I tell you what: low risk, massive reward. Let's have a go at this. Where did you fall in between those two? I really didn't think that it would work, and the first time I saw it was in probably late 2010 or early 2011. Uh, which preceded my purchasing of any Bitcoin. I saw what was at the time described as mere digital gold, perhaps. Uh, and it was it was a sort of loose write up. And I thought the whole thing was rather uh, preposterous and extraordinary. But I followed it because it was at least bold enough at the time to where it deserved attention. Mm-hmm. And back then it was kind of going through the computer science circles and kind of going through esoteric economic channels, the Misens in particular, I think, uh, we're, we're fascinated, at least with the potential at the time. And it wasn't until Silk Road came out that I yes, actually said, yes. wait a second, there's a use for this that I can understand. Because prior to that, it was really just an interesting project. And it was when Silk Road came out that I actually bought my first Bitcoin. And uh, I, I spent some of it on Silk Road. I'm not uh, embarrassed to say that. Uh, fortunately, I didn't spend all of it on Silk Road. And um what I learned in the process was how to use Bitcoin and, and really in a lot of ways, like what is it that is being done here? Why does any of this matter? 
Uh, not that that's the only use for Bitcoin or even the most common use, but it does demonstrate at an extreme what types of needs there are in this world for the transfer of value that aren't being served. And then I think from that platform, we can springboard into uh, some, some more mainstream discussions on how people are using it, but it at least serves as a basis of fundamental, if not extreme, need that exists out there on the internet. And back then buying Bitcoin was really hard. There wasn't any uh, exchanges that were certainly not reliable uh, or even present. A lot of this was done by way of um, IRC sessions or I think I used uh, Skype sessions even at first and you find a guy who knew a man and then you sent him something maybe through PayPal if you were lucky and uh, there were stories of people sending cash in envelopes and uh, of course the Bitcoin pizza and it was really hard back in those days. So I, I did not buy nearly as much as I should have and my official answer is that I only bought one. It makes my life much simpler that way. But <laughs> um, suffice to say it was it was a great opportunity, that's for sure. Yeah, look, I'm so glad you touched on that in a positive light, Chris. Um, you know, the the whole look when we say cryptocurrency, people often blanket the entire market as cryptocurrency, and it's not. I mean, the word blockchain is a bit more buzzy now. Uh, blockchain is more what people are saying. I, I like the term crypto assets because it encapsulates everything there. A cryptocurrency is a Bitcoin. It, it's a form of currency, hence the name. And Silk Road, people look at that, and that cryptocurrency, they, they associate Bitcoin with, oh, isn't that just where you money launder and you do drugs? And it's like, no, it, it's not. But that's the connotation that many people have. Now, Silk Road, in my view, as is yours as well, it's just become very apparent to me, it really is one of the birthplaces of Bitcoin and the success of this entire industry. Now, we've got some poor bloke sitting there. I mean, he, I live in Bondi Beach, right? This dude who, I can't remember his name, who did Silk Road, he lived in Bondi for a while, right? So I kind of like, this is just a guy, an entrepreneur who created an online marketplace who's, I think, currently rotting in a prison cell somewhere, right? Horrible story. Very, very bad. You know, I'm not going to go into the detail of that. However, what Silk Road did is it gave Bitcoin a use case. It created, as you quite rightly said, a use for this. And with a use comes an understanding, and with an understanding comes more users, so on and so forth, and we grow and we multiply. And I think that it needs to be a part of the Bitcoin story and the crypto asset story and not frowned upon. At the moment, the, the understanding around this whole crypto asset space, the blockchain technology, and where we can actually take this, how we can actually make things cheaper for consumers, um, safer co for consumers, and, and decentralized for consumers. I, we can't lose, our, you know, lose as much information and, and be um, monopolized so much. All these things are still widely unknown. People talk about cryptocurrency and go, oh, the Bitcoin. Oh, that's for drug use. That's that they're starting to slowly. I'm talking about the greater community here, the, the the whole investment and you know population community, which is everybody, right? So people are starting to slowly but surely trickle in and get an understanding. That all stems from Silk Road, and I think that's pretty amazing. Now, with Bitcoin, we we, we know it's the powerhouse. I mean, Bitcoin is the birth of this market. I often, when I talk about trading, I talk about Bitcoin being our index. We don't have an index uh, uh, like the Dow Jones or the NASDAQ. We don't have an index at the moment, but the market is still very immature. So therefore, if Bitcoin falls, if Bitcoin, you know, the old saying is, you know, 
in traditional markets, if the US catches a sorry, if the US sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. Now, if Bitcoin sneezes, the alts tend to fall harder. Now, Bitcoin's direction is more or less the rest of the market's directions, aside from news announcements, releases, that sort of thing. Do you see, and I know that you I, I see in many of your posts you've got the old Monero hat on. Do you see anything else trumping Bitcoin in the future as the Mac Daddy? I don't. I, I I like Monero very much as a project in the space that I think deserves mention, but I do not believe that, that it would be displacing Bitcoin anytime soon, nor would I want it to be. I I think that the Rosetta Stone of all of these products appears to revolve around and be Bitcoin. And like you described, it, there's a high degree of correlation between the Bitcoin movements and everything else. And I think, too, you know, it... it deserves mention that when people arrive in this space, they oftentimes want to repeat these smashing successes that early Bitcoiners had with 100x returns and, and these types mm. of things. So they invest in products that really don't offer very much other than getting in on the ground floor. And oftentimes I, I, we see some activity there and uh, maybe some others will join under that same rubric of comprehension. And then it sort of regresses to either zero or something close to it, yeah. um, you know, or, or at least something you know marginally performing uh, at best. And so, and Bitcoin seems to track a lot of that activity. Now, all of that being said, it does it does seem that some of the assets do perform fairly well. Um, Ethereum has done much better than I would have thought. I, I was very skeptical about that project. I still am, but it's performed well. Same with Ripple and uh, a few others in the space dash. So even even though some of some of the projects themselves are oftentimes of dubious value, the performance of the asset has been non-trivial, um, in with within some some degree of proximity to Bitcoin. So Bitcoin itself, I don't see getting displaced. The function of an index, I, I think, is valid and needed, and I think Coinbase is now going to be offering such a product, but. There's a lot of nonsense in the space too, and it, it very quickly turns into nonsense after the first, you know, five, maybe ten, um, all out cryptocurrency listings there on uh, Coin Market Cap. I, I agree with you, mate. I, I think um, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, look at what we see in this space, or certainly what I've noticed anyway, is that you get if you get somebody who's in a project at the ground floor, they they shill. The, this is a word that I've recently learned. There's a lot of new language that I've learned in this space. They shill it. They, they, they talk about how fantastic it is. And for me, being someone who's been a trader and an investor for, for, for you know, over a decade, I look at that and kind of go, well, you're, you're kind of making the first mistake of trading and investing. You're emotional about this. You are hoping. Now, hope is not a strategy in anything. You know, hope is... Hope is important to have. It's a wonderful thing. It, it creates enthusiasm. It, it helps us through our tough times. But does hope make good investment decisions? And, and I would suggest that it doesn't. Now, there are two types of people in this space, I believe. There are the capitalists who are there purely to make a dollar. And that's fine because we need those, okay? Uh, we need participation from everybody. And then there are the people who um, would like to do a bit of both. They're the very early people into, you know, things like Ethereum, Bitcoin that got in at the ground floor, you know, bought 
uh, Bitcoin at a couple of dollars or even when it was back in the cents. Uh, these people have, some of them have uh, phenomenal wealth. So, of course, the, the requirement uh, of the capitalist mentality is somewhat diminished uh, and they have more of a, um, let's say, the planet mentality, which I think is fantastic. But I think the majority of the market is in the middle, which is saying, I want to make money. But I'd also like to invest in projects that I believe are going to A, work, and B, have a positive impact on our planet. Now, we're seeing a huge boom at the moment within the um, power sector. There are some phenomenal projects out there. The market, the, the space is having more and more coming through. And I think it's a, a really good beacon of hope to how we can quickly speed up the greening of our planet. I, I'm really a big, I'm very enthusiastic on that space because I think there's a, a massive market, i.e. energy. It's a you know trillion dollar market. But more importantly, if you do it right, you can bring the speed of green energy up. We are going to need coal plants. They keep our hospitals open. They keep our power moving. But there's a lot of different areas that you know that this space can take us to be both be able to make money and to make the world a better place. And I think that's where the majority of people sit. Now, where do you think you sit on both sides, pure capitalism or the other side of it or in the middle? Yeah, no, so you, you definitely seized on, I think, the two, or at least one way to describe two major demographics here in the space. There are people who do not give a crap about anything other than some degree of comprehension of profiting. And then there are others that are here to sort of die on the cross for a cause. And we, we really do need both in order for this thing to, to work. For me, I've identified certainly with the cause for much of my career, but I, right around 2017 or so, not even that long ago, you know, a year, but, uh, but barely, I, I think I, I kind of became secular in, in a lot of different ways. And I started to detach myself from some of the orthodoxy and fundamentalism of the cause. And in doing so, I really feel like I got a great comprehension of what was going on in that side of the movement. And I started to explore uh, what you would label the capitalist side of the movement more. And you can definitely see that in the show. And they both offer a different side of what's needed. And it's, it's really hard to talk about crypto without understanding the emotional side that it seems to play with people. And the, the trivial and sort of trite way of describing that emotion is as perhaps uh, some, some uh, neck beard who believes that the world is going to uh, restart in a way that puts himself on top and the anarchist revolution is, or the futurarchy or something like that is, is going to change all of the things and nothing will ever be the same. And there's a lot of reasons why that's silly, but the dedication that people seem to have to their blockchain is a huge reason why they're still here. And yeah. if we were, yeah. if we're being honest, you get into some really deep issues with money that go so deep um, you get into aspects of well, what what makes a dollar valuable or what makes a euro or or any any other currencies valuable and there's good answers to that and if you keep on going down the line you may come to the conclusion that money is at its core a matter of faith and if that is your conclusion then you get into an interesting realm of how to understand what this space represents for the emotional side of things with people yeah, that's right. I, I, you, you, I think what you, what you said, I, I agree with entirely. And I think the word is inclusiveness, inclusive. So what we're looking at with this space is we're not, you know, if, if you go back to, and I talk about investing and trading because that, that's what I know, right? 
So you go back to, you know, when I turned 18, I mean, I, I was investing before I was 18, but let's say when I turned 18, because that was when I could do it myself. You make a phone call to a broker, right? When I bought, uh, you know, some shares in an Australian mining company when I was 18 years old. Now, it's intimidating when you're a young man who's pretty much fresh out of school and you want to get involved in investing, all right? So there wasn't blockchain, there wasn't cryptocurrency then. I'm in my mid-30s. So yeah, I'm an old dog in this new market. It's cool being old at 35, in the, right? <laughs> um, it's so fresh and so new. But, but my point is, is that it, it's quite intimidating now. I was pretty confident, so I was able to do that. I'm, I'm a very inquisitive person. I ask a lot of questions. Um, but a lot of people wouldn't do that. They'd be intimidated by having to speak to the suit, so to speak. Now, with, with Bitcoin, with crypto assets, with this whole community, it's very inclusive because, you know, you don't have to speak with anybody. You know, you can do your own research and, and it allows people to come into this space very, very easily. Now, I, I think with the, um, you know, the, the, the old neckbeards you were talking about and the example, they'll die for the cause. They are very, very important. But I sometimes see contradicting views where they'll say, oh, yes, we're, the market, we, it's going to go, it's going to be the biggest thing in the world. It's going to take over the world, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, well, hang on. But you screw your head up or screw your face up when someone like Goldman Sachs comes in and does a, does a deal or when a big institution comes in and does a deal. And it's like, but if you want it to take over the world, you need the world to take it over <laughs> or take it on, I should say. And, and we can't do that. We can't have a $10 trillion market like, you know, like, like the NASDAQ size market without having these large institutions come in because the institutions, they, it's not their own money. You've got to remember, it's bringing in the people that invest in these institutions. So your mums and dads who are not going to go and go through Coinbase, they're not going to buy a, you know, a Treasure wallet. They're not going to learn how to use my Ether wallet. They're not going to send tokens from one exchange to the next. You know, you're talking about your baby boomer generation that have got money and they invest it but they don't they won't do it themselves they always hand it to somebody else to do these big institutions then invest on the behalf of these moms and dads around the world so you're bringing the inclusiveness of the community through these institutions and sure these institutions can be unscrupulous they bring a wall street mentality to a lot of the time but that's not a bad thing it sharpens the space up it provides new tools which we'll go into in just a minute and i think that we can't contradict ourselves. If we are someone who wants to die for the cause, we need to have an understanding beyond I was here first, so therefore I think we should do this. We, we need to be inclusive in our involvement of everybody in the space. Sure, be cagey, you know, be familiar with the negatives that these institutions bring to the space, but, but don't be so close-minded to just sort of put your hands over your ears and go la, 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 because we need them. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that as well. It it's under, I understand what happened. You, you, so what happened effectively was you had a small group of people who were laughed at, who were jeered at, but who kept their conviction through that period. And then what happened was, lo and behold, this small group was correct, that there was something bigger going on. And I think that the members of that group wanted and seemed to feel the need for validation of some kind, like mm. they need to see some act of contrition by the mainstream in order to, I don't know, feel like they were made whole or something. Yeah. And, and that's certainly not reasonable. Um, but nonetheless, it's what's pervaded the culture. Um, and, I, you know, I think, too, when you look at these movements throughout history, uh, you know, maybe like, I don't know, something as trivial as like 
uh, a social movement or as meaningful as a, a change of government or something. Um, at first, there is a culture that is very cohesive and fairly unifying amongst the people who have the most faith in this thing. And then when the floodgates open, the expectation from that group is that their culture will pervade the world. But that's not what happens. What happens when we assimilate is the opposite if the numbers are, are the way that it's worked out to be, such that there's more of them than there were of us. Well, guess what? We have to change. Even though we were here first, or even though we were right about many of these tenants, uh, if they're going to join us and this thing's going to grow, then it's time to compromise those tenants and to acquiesce. And unfortunately for the people who've been here, uh, who are star stalwarts on this culture, it, it's actually hurt the space to the degree to which they're orthodox. Um, there, there have been a number of old timers who have left. And I remind people that if you don't like it, you're paid to leave. It's a really good deal right now. Yeah, yeah. You, you got in, <laughs> you know, you can't really complain to anybody. Sorry, That's bud. Pretty, pretty good golden handshake, isn't it? Exactly. So there's this sort of clash of worlds that you're seeing in many ways. And it explains at least some of the weirdness. And you, you don't see the level of vitriol in other financial investment no. classes that you see, you see here in blockchain. And this is one of the big reasons why they became culture wars. But, but, you know, it's like, it's funny to me too, because that works both ways. Sometimes I'll see like more traditional investors point at this phenomenon and say, well, that's, that's why it's for children. And, but my point is that like, well, you know, what, what investor wouldn't love to see this level of allegiance in a company? Mm. And we, I can only think of things like that with like maybe Apple. Yes. It's very rare to have like a lifestyle brand in something and you see it here in cryptocurrency. So, so it works both ways. It's an interesting phenomenon, if nothing else. There's definitely a very strong backbone, put it that way. Yeah, agreed. So, mate, as somebody who is within this top 100 most influential people on the planet, um, I'm, I'm very, very certain, uh, as you are also quite an intelligent human being, that you're having some pretty decent conversations with others within the top 100 and around the crypto sphere. Now, with an ear to the ground such as yours, the question I've got is, what what's going on? Like from your perspective, what's exciting for you? Like you're having, you're no doubt aware of lots of things that are bubbling away in the background that are about to come to fruition. Lots of different bits and pieces. Now I'm not asking for a scoop. I'm not asking for inside information. I'm asking more about what do you see as some of the most exciting progressions at the moment in the space from somebody who, I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm, I am sure that you are having some pretty high level conversations. Um, what's the exciting? What's the what's the hum? What, what's coming? Is there anything that that you're particularly interested, excited, passionate about in the space at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. The, so the biggest thing in the space doesn't it, it's so it's so big that it doesn't really like to get talked about, even though a lot of us do talk about it at uh, some higher level of, of comprehension. And it, it kind of revolves around this notion of Bitcoin's identity or any cryptocurrency's identity. And while it's easy and useful to say that this is Bitcoin. Bitcoin, it is digital gold, and these other things then are decentralized, whatevers. Uh, it, it, there's a fundamental way that this differs from gold. Uh, gold is a property of the universe. It's certainly a commodity, but its design was one that came to us as humans. It wasn't something that humans sat down and tinkered with and permuted in any way. It has an atomic number, 79, 
no change to gold will ever happen. And throughout time, gold has been gold because of this. Well, that's not quite so in the cryptocurrency world. With Bitcoin, for example, well, we don't have necessarily the best design of Bitcoin. We have Satoshi's design of Bitcoin. And, and well, we don't even necessarily have that. There's been some changes to it that uh, are a little bit incompatible with the original Satoshi design. And sure, lo and behold, we have this thing called Bitcoin Cash now that is uh, an adjustment to the Bitcoin that is provided by others. And so this, this sort of nebulous design facet is very unique to the space uh, because it isn't as traditionally regulated as other offerings are. And so when we go to look at what is Google or what is a Google stock, there's all kinds of wonderfully codified questions and answers with authorities and government regulations that assert ownership over these words, over these ideas and over these technologies. And here in the cryptocurrency space, we don't have any of that protection in place. So there's gigantic fights about things that are rooted in that central issue. And despite the fights, people don't like to talk about it because there's a taboo and there is a shared anxiety over what the implications might mean of, of this sort of nebulous consistency. And I'm actually very optimistic about this. Uh, it seems to come down to what is properly described best, I think, as governance. The notion that people can come together and form a identity, if, if not a nation, then certainly a cryptocurrency online. And what that seems to be is a matter of designing faith in development, faith in process, faith in this token or you know, Bitcoin or, or Ethereum or whatever. And that science and that whole field is, is kind of new. Like we've had it before, no doubt. And the best knowledge comes from pulling from our history of governance and governance systems. But it's new in the sense that we, we haven't seen people online form governments before. And that's probably or certainly the next phase of this whole thing. And we can talk about what that might mean and how it's going to affect the space. But I think that's probably the biggest issue in the space. And it's probably the biggest because it's a difficult and a bit of a taboo issue. Yeah, okay. That's, a, that's an interesting answer. And, and one, um, yeah, I'm still taking it all in. Well done. Um, I mean, you, you sort of start to lean towards the the big R word, the big red R word regulation. Um I mean, look, again, this is something almost of a taboo. I mean, you've got two schools of thought again. You've got the greater capitalist um, mindset, which is regulation is good. You've got the logical business person's mindset of, well, regulation is needed. And then you've got the, you know, the uh, the earlier adapters, so adopters of the cryptocurrency, crypto asset space, which are saying, the whole point of this is not to be regulated, who are saying regulation is bad. But again, again, and on this show, I, I do talk a lot about uh, my belief in the space being very immature currently. Uh, and, and this is why I, I really appreciate having conversations with someone such as yourself, Chris, because I think we do, without blowing our own trumpets, uh, bring a level of conversation that is, is, we're not talking about Lambos and flying to the moon. We're talking more about what is 
What are the facts? What are the issues? What do we need to see? What are the conversations that have been had? And, and where do we see the space going? So regulation for me seems like I'm very excited by regulation, very, very excited by regulation. The conversations are being had in Canberra uh, at the moment, which is uh, the Australian Capital Territory in here in Australia, about the regulation of the spit, the space. And I know many governments around the world are kind of scratching their heads. Now, I did watch some of that Senate inquiry with uh, Mark Zuckerberg, and it did scare me a little bit because – the questions that were being asked to Mr Zuckerberg were obviously from people that really do not have a clue about technology. Now, that sent a bit of a bolt of fear because the US is a big part of this market. You you are a big part of, the, of this market. There, there is no doubt. And the lack of understanding for something as relatively straightforward as, as Facebook, I know the algorithms and the way they run the business is obviously a complex procedure, but the Senate didn't even know. They asked, "How if it's free, how do you make money? And, and Zuckerberg said, we, we, we run ads. Like, do you really not know this? Now, with regulation, we can do it properly and have people that understand the space. And I know in Australia, I've got some people that I know that I'm working closely with that are on the boards there to help the regulation. So I'm confident in this country that we have the right guidance. In other jurisdictions around the world, and the US especially, and I know this is where you reside, so I ask you, around regulation in your country and then the greater the greater world, uh, what do you see as being, I guess, the the – two sides of the coin, what can be really positive and what can be really negative in your view around that topic of regulation? I, I see very few negatives to regulation at this point. And I, I'm, I can tell you what others would say. Uh, they would say that it uh, nullifies the value proposition, which I don't disagree with. They would say that um, the, the only efficiencies here are the lack of regulations. And I certainly don't agree with that. You know, these are frontiers in my estimation, or at least these blockchains are. And like all frontiers, they're lawless, certainly at the time at which they're discovered. And the people that go there are people that are pirates, people at the edge. And sure, the process of de-risking frontiers is just a very tumultuous one full mm. of battle and uh, risk, but also full of intrigue and uh, fortune. And... You know, when the internet first came out, it's easy to, to laugh about this now, but at the time it was a deregulated space. That was one of the great features of it is we finally had a place to transmit data that wasn't over the airwaves and anybody could do it. And we kind of forgot that spirit now because it's become, again, uh, colonized in the way that all frontiers are. And we're still dealing with it in the sense of Facebook. You know, Facebook was another frontier within the internet and blockchain's another frontier that's also attached to the internet. But I, I, I think that, you know, when people come to blockchain and they say, well, wh why does this have value? Or, you know, this is just a beanie baby. When it's regulated in almost any reasonable capacity, we say, well, beanie babies were never regulated by the SEC. Or we can say uh, that, no, this, is, this has meat because it's trading on NASDAQ and there's other investors who are looking to de-risk this frontier in a way that is... Uh, comprehensive and above board. And so I, I'm a big fan of regulation. And I think that once it happens 
and it increasingly seems like it it will happen uh, favorably uh, even, um, not not to everybody, but but an aggregate. I think that we will see a significant amount of productivity in this space as a result of that that single development. Yeah, I, look, I, I couldn't agree more with you, mate. I mean, for me, that you know, was it? I think it was the start of this year, end of last year. The conversations about regulation were starting to come to the fore, and that was part of the FUD, and you know, a very emotional marketplace. I mean, as a trader, we. we forced to learn the hard way nine times out of ten even if you've got a fantastic mentor uh that you know you need to block the emotion you need to be rational and objective um, that's literally why i've got checklists for everything it, it's you know my, my personality is outgoing i like to have a bit of fun and uh, i'm pretty spontaneous but you try and do that uh take that personality into trading and you'll do what i did you'll blow out three accounts very very quickly now i see that any hint of anything negative at the moment is, is met by some a wide range of selling. Now, what I think regulation will do is twofold. One, it will bring smarter minds to the market. It will mean that at the market, the market will grow, right? And look, I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this should be, you know, for the smart people only. I, not at all. I want everyone to have inclusion. The good thing is a lot of the people that have invested now have not got a lot of money. That's why they're in crypto. They see it as an asset class that could possibly be their way to actually make it a buck, which I think is fantastic. It, it really is great. And these people will be turkeys in a hurricane. They'll get lifted up with the rest of everybody else once this market moves. Now, what this will do once the money flows in is there'll be wiser heads in the space. You look at... You you look at investors out there like Warren Buffett now, they don't care if the market's falling. They look at it and go, well, fundamentally nothing's changed. I'm not buying this for, for three years, six years. I'm buying this for 30 years. I'm, you know, They're true investors that will sit back, that they know what they're doing, they've got convictions, and we won't see the, um, the volatility that we're seeing right now. There's a lot more volatility to come, which is really good news for people like myself who's a trader and also the people coming into the space who want to see good gains. Of course, very good research is required. They need to work out what's going to, where they put their money. But with that influx of – sorry, with that regulation comes an influx of capital. It, it, the market then gets owned by a – uh, a majority of smarter minds, i.e., market cap wise, if we've got a one trillion dollar market, let's say as an example, then you know if five hundred billion is owned by institutional and five hundred billion is owned by let's say the uh, non-institutional money, then it's a tug of war. If that figure becomes seventy five percent institutionalized money, then we will see less volatility, which means we'll see less people get wrecked. To use a phrase coined <laughs> in the space, <laughs> do you like how I did that? Um, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, so I, I think regulation brings uh, it brings gains for those who are already in the space. Uh, it brings stability. It brings more brains. And I, I'm with you. Now that we've gotten through the whole regulation means they're going to shut everything down. The government hates it. I mean, I never thought that in the first place. I mean, when the conversation came out about Facebook banning crypto ads, I thought that was fantastic. It was the first piece of regulation. And and you've got to, like, you've got to look at it through the eyes of a business owner. Facebook shut that down because people were getting ripped off. Now, if enough people get ripped off, they go and have a class action. And if the class action goes after Facebook, they've got to litigate. That could cost them billions. It's a headache they don't want. Sure, they've got the money to fight it, but who wants to fight? Like, realistically, we all want to go through this world as, you know, tangle-free as possible. So they shut that down. I think it was a good thing. There's, there's one thing I hate more than hype and pump and dumps. Well, the reason I hate pump and dumps is because good people get hurt. Now, I think regulation helps with that. It, it, it provides an on-ramp for institutional money. It gets rid of the 
the the bad pirates. I'm sure they were good pirates back in the day, but the bad pirates get kicked out and people right. become safer. And that's where I think regulation, not purely from a capitalist point of view, i.e. I'll make a lot of money when regulation comes and the money comes in, but down to the safety of the community. We, we've got to look after people. And I think that's one of the really wonderful things about this whole crypto asset space is that people genuinely want to help. And with regulation, we can help people that don't know what they're doing to stop getting ripped off. It's a positive. I agree. And, you know, one thing that I don't think is particularly appreciated enough is the rise of millennial investment interest. It mm. seems to me that in prior generations, there was a lot more enthusiasm about securities as a whole. And for whatever reasons, that sort of interest never really kept with the kids and with the now young adults. Yet here we have in crypto, seemingly an investment system that has captured their interests, that has spoken to them. And unfortunately, like you said, as a result of the regulatory environment, they're not exposed or even uh, able to get basic things like insurance or uh, guarantees of any kind. And you see fraudulent ICOs left and right mm. as a result of that. And uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's just not helping. And it's very easy to fix that problem. I think the millennials are not being interested in, in, in the stock market per se is because these millennials are from the era of social media, which is the era of instant gratification. Now, crypto fits that perfectly because, you know, you can get it to 10x in three months. Um, that instant gratification is offered in this space. So they don't need to change their views. They don't need to change the way they think. They can act fast, move fast. The world's fast. Crypto's fast. Facebook's fast. I, got a, I post a photo, I get a like. There's instant gratification ingrained within this younger generation. And look, you know, whatever that ends up doing to the planet, I don't know. But I'm hoping it's a positive thing. We've got a huge base of millennials now, which is a huge voter base. Let's not forget that. A big voter base. So if the old dogs don't let us do some new tricks, then this voice is a large enough one to make change if we truly want it. And the crypto space uh, is definitely filled with millennials. That's where the immaturity comes from. And I'm not, I'm not when I say immaturity, I'm not saying it as a degrading term. I'm saying it as a matter of fact. It, you know, you look in some of these groups, Facebook groups, Slack groups, Discord groups, Telegram groups, and you go, wow. This is insane. Um, it is young. It is immature. And they are behind a computer keyboard so they can say and do whatever the hell they want. So I don't see it as a negative. I think it's a really good thing that they will be growing up with this space and they'll be learning with this space. And these people, these millennials, will be voting, they'll be investing, and they'll be creating because these are the brains that are going to be running the blockchain, creating with tech because they've all grown up with an iPad or an iPhone or a laptop. These are the computer generation. I am not the computer generation. I'm a bit old school. You know, I, I know what I know and I do what I do. I mean, yes, I'm surrounded by a million different computer screens, but I know how to use a computer for what I need to use. The millennials are, I guess, to... Um, to coin a phrase or or to use an analogy from something that I know a lot of the listeners will be familiar with, it's kind of like in Lord of the, uh, Lord of the Rings when all the orcs come down the valley. <laughs> if we all unite, you can't stop us. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's also another thing that I think the millennials, it should be discussed, have probably formed attachments to companies in ways that are fairly unique to their generation. Uh, like, let's say Airbnb, something that most or all kids use after the age of 18, an amazing company. 
uh, one that I, I have some familiarity with and that I certainly love, but you can't invest in Airbnb. It's, it's privately held. And I think as a result of the regulations that were well-intentioned in the early part of the uh, 21st century, there was a disincentive for excitement in new uh, companies to propagate throughout society. And that left out a bunch of people from using and investing in technology uh, from a finance level. And so here, I think with blockchain now, they're able to look at companies that are in early stage uh, development and look at projects that are very early stage and be a part of that. And that privilege was always denied to them. And it's exciting, I think, to see them discover finance for the first time in a way that, sure, is, is how children discover finance, but also in a way that seasoned professionals should probably recognize is a long-term commitment from that demographic. Yeah, I agree. And look, in all honesty, because I, th I think that we could do an entire show talking about the uh, this demographic, uh, and it's probably not a bad idea to do it at some point. Um, one thing I want to go to, final question, mate, because I could talk to you about millennials for the next Yeah, six oh, hours. I was excited. That's too bad. We're grabbing it up. Let's see what you got there. <laughs> well, like I said, we can always do a prequel. We can do, we can do a part two, you know, Chris and Craig talking about the millennial space, I'm more than happy to do that. Or you can host me on your show and we can cover it. Whatever floats yeah. above it, mate. Um, but uh, there is a question that I do ask uh, nearly all of the guests, all right? And and the reason that I ask this question is I, I've been fortunate to have grown up from a young age. Well, everyone grows up from a young age, obviously. But I've been fortunate enough to have grown up with some really, really good mentors, uh, entrepreneurs, business people, titans of, of different industry. And I, I was, my dad actually encouraged me to do this. I, I asked each of these people, um, you know, what point did their company go from, say, 2 million turnover to 200 million turnover? So, something along those lines, right? Because the, the idea that dad gave me was if, if you get the same answer enough times, and there's probably some relevance to that. Now, the answer that I got was, you know, stop working on the business and work so stop working within the business and work on the business. Now, that was a business tip that has changed every, my perspective of everything, right? My question to you is, do you, for new people in the space, now, they, these can be millennials, these can be teenagers, these can be 65-year-old baby boomers, these can be anybody at all. Is there anything, any words of wisdom that you think would be something that everybody needs to know, understand, or at least start to take on board before or during their journey into the crypto asset space? Man, that's a good question. And I, uh, you know, they're, they're, I could, we could do a whole show on some of the, the lessons learned. Yeah. <laughs> no, so it's, I'm trying to boil down some of my uh, best advice for people that are getting into the space. And, you know, the, the do, you, do you know FOMO? Is, is FOMO yep. part of your lexicon yet? Yep. Yeah. So the FOMO is what generally leads to the worst investment decisions. Oh, yeah. And for those that don't know, FOMO is fear of missing out. And patience, in my estimations, patience is really the most important thing to come to this space with. I get the enthusiasm that a lot may have. They show up and they want to conquer the world. And I've seen this time and time again, where they will either go the trading route and they will spend the rest of their night sleepless for that year uh, while they try to understand the, the tickers, or they will mine and they will buy a small fortune uh, in miners and run their power bill to the to the moon and uh, <laughs> cause their girlfriend to have to sleep next to them in you know eighty five degree temperatures and on and on and on. 
Um, nothing in this space is something that you can learn in a, a year. Uh, you got to sit there and watch. And while it's certainly healthy and fun to put a little bit of money on the table, I get that. By all means, curb your enthusiasm for as long as you possibly can. Because I think as a result of the mania, as well as the lack of regulatory protections, it seems as if there's just no constraints for people who want to take a wild turn and progress into the ether with it and uh, never be heard from again. I've seen that over and over again. So I think beware of any claims in this space. You know, certainly certainly mine, I, I, I try my best to, to give you good advice here, but, uh, you know, measure them as you would any other random claimant. And be be very mindful of what the person is representing because a lot of people are not your friends in this space that uh, are, are here for dubious reasons. And I've seen a lot of people show up uh, with, with a, a horse in the, in the game and uh, who, who themselves make money by giving bad advice to others, which I, I think everyone should be wary of. And uh, yeah, do your homework. Really got to do your homework and understand the risk that you're incurring when you buy into these assets. Yeah. It's very hard to do. Well, Chris, I, I've got to be honest, mate, that um, you saying patience, um, that is, that's my number one thing. It's, it's something that there's, there's two things that I say as a trader. And I say, okay, look, I can teach you the strategies. I can give you the checklist. I can talk to you about the routines, how to report, how to do all of this. I can teach you how to basically run a trading business, but I can't teach you discipline and I can't teach you patience. Now, overtrading is the reason that most people fail. FOMO is the reason why most people lose money, but overtrading is the reason most people fail because they end up with no currency. And with no currency, well, if you're a car salesman and you have no cars, you're just looking after a lot. In trading, if you've got no currency, same thing. You're just playing a video game. So patience is the number one thing for me. It stops you overtrading. It gives you perspective because you go, you got to, you got to think more. When when you're being patient, you are thinking. Because you're trying, you're going, okay, hang on, hang on. Because you've got to be mindful to be patient. The hardest thing to do is nothing. The it's hardest true. thing to do Absolutely. is Absolutely. I most of my days I do nothing as a trader. When I'm trading, man, I'm looking for reasons not to take a trade as opposed to reasons to take a trade. So thank you for that. Very much in line with my views. Uh, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure having you on the show, mate. I'd absolutely love to have you again. I'd love to appear on your show if uh, you wanted to have my opinions, my views on trading, on investing, on whatever it may be. I'd be absolutely uh, stoked to be there. And uh, guys, don't forget, do not forget Chris DeRose. Bitcoin Uncensored podcast. You can also go onto YouTube, find his channel. There's some amazing video content. Uh, a lot there on the website, which is Chris DeRose. That is Chris, spelled C-H-R-I-S, DeRose, D-E-R-O-S-E.com. A huge amount of articles there. Wonderfully informative content from a very, very intelligent young man and early adopter of Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency space. So thank you so much, Chris. I'd love to hear, speak to you again down the track. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure we will. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Chris. The Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. Check out TraderCobb.com because experience matters.
This show is proudly sponsored by coinspot.com.au, with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. Views are of the advertiser, not Trader Cobb or the audio presenter.